0: This episode contains extensive discussions on suicide and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. A vibrant young woman was found by her fiancé, stabbed to death in their shared apartment. Police arrived, found that she'd suffered 20 stab wounds to her front and back, and quickly determined her cause of death was a suicide? The medical examiner first disagreed and called it a homicide, but caved to pressure and changed his opinion to suicide. Now her parents have assembled a team of world-renowned forensic experts who all agree on one thing. Their daughter was killed by someone else's hand. Will a civil lawsuit help them on a path to justice? This week's episode is The Mysterious Death of Ellen Greenberg. Up in the night, your heart fills with dread.
1: Probably
0: a murder
1: who wants you
0: dead? Be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless. You're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who sinister? I'm
1: gonna kill you. Well, this is gonna be one of those episodes where we were not funny.
0: Correct. Yes, we're. As you all know, our passion is we started this not to be funny and joke about all the fun things we joke about on like the Denver airport episodes, but we've always wanted to solve a cold case. And although there is an official finding on the record, so it's technically not a cold case, in my opinion, as a world renowned forensic expert, <laughs> uh, there, uh, it's wrong.
1: That death certificate's wrong and needs to get fixed. Absolutely. Um, gosh, I wish I could call myself a world renowned forensic expert i mean so i guess different. i can call myself that but techni- you can call yourself anything yeah that's true yeah. we can call ourselves whatever we want technically I'm better not- call salt he's got that world's
0: greatest lawyer man I need are that you on better
1: call salt now
0: Oh, I started in, oh, like five good. episodes in. He has it in Breaking Bad, and I that's true. P- picked He picked up the mug, and I thought, I said, "Oh, that's a really nice mug." And Paris goes, "Do you want me to get you a world's greatest lawyer, Better Call Saul <laughs> mug?" I said, "Yes." I also want a University of Samoa Law School sweatshirt that he has. Nice. I'm, I'm a Saul stan. Yes, uh, it's a gr- I, it's a great I, show. I feel like I highly relate. <laughs> it's it's Saul. a great show. Bob Odenkirk uh, is great. Now, but yeah, this it is does. definitely going to be a less silly a less silly episode. And I think we're both. When we initially heard about this case, did somebody suggest it or you read about it somewhere. You
1: messaged it to me. Um, we've had people suggest it and I've also ran across it before and it never made sense. And it's one of those that sticks in your brain and you're like, This just doesn't this doesn't add up. And Yeah. Uh the more eyes are on it and the more people talk about it, hopefully the case gets reopened and in my opinion, yeah. justice will be served. Salt, so, yes, there'll be a solution. Yeah, so
0: it's a, there's a call to action at the end for especially those in Pennsylvania who are constituents of the change makers to hopefully uh, help this family out. But I remember when you first sent it to me, it was, you know, we talk, Christy and I work well, well into the night. We're night mm-hmm. owls. And you must have sent it to me 1130, 12 at night. And Paris is asleep. I'm next. You know, he's next to me. I'm in the bed going, What? What? I mean, luckily he's a heavy sleeper because I was, I mean, verbally mm-hmm. out loud. And then the next day we were going back and forth and I started telling him about it. And he's like, what are you talking? Let me see this. What? All that to say is he's uh, he's not a world renowned forensic expert <laughs> for all of my my betrothed's great qualities a layperson who's not even super into true crime space criminology mm-hmm. forensics was like it's this is like the easiest case what mm-hmm. what do you mean what it didn't comport with him so i think dear listener as you listen to this uh you're probably going to go on the same emotional roller coaster as we did and unfortunately that their that her family has been going through since uh 2011 when this happened uh as saying uh this is not a difficult case what happened here and
1: right it seems we'll to very get to cut and dry it, yeah. um, one that you, when, when you hear all the evidence and then know that someone decided that the cause of death was suicide, it makes no sense whatsoever. No. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll just, well, let's go. Let's we'll go. Let I'm the, not going to we'll steal let, your line. We, we won't. Yeah. We, I don't feel like we have to convince anybody. I feel no, like there, the evidence no. uh, yes. speaks for itself.
0: Yeah, a good argument in court is just I'm going to lay the facts out, and your brain's going to piece it together Mm -hmm. real easy-like. So uh, I don't want to steal your let's get into it line. Almost did. Almost
1: did. That's okay. Well, let's get into it, Heather. Thank you. (laughs) Ellen Ray Greenberg was born June 23, 1983, the only child of Dr. Josh Greenberg, a periodontist, and his wife, Sandy, a dental hygienist. Sandy described her daughter as, Joyful, loving, warm, social, liked to cook, and loved fashion. In an interview with Oxygen, Ellen was close with both her parents and liked to attend sporting events with her dad. According to her friend Erica Hamilton, Ellen's love of children naturally drew her to become a teacher. In 2011, at the age of 27, she was teaching first grade at Juniata Park Academy in Philadelphia, where her bubbly personality made her a favorite among students and teachers. She was engaged, having met her fiancé, 27-year-old TV producer Sam Goldberg, through mutual friends. On a trip to California in the summer of 2010, Sam had proposed, and the two set a wedding date of August 13, 2011. In late 2010, family and friends began to notice a change in Ellen. She had always been a positive person, with a cheerful disposition and a smile that could light up any room. Now... Those close to Ellen were concerned as they watched her struggle with crippling anxiety. Ellen's father said he became worried about his once-outgoing daughter, who now seemed nervous all the time, telling Oxygen. I thought she had a sort of a nervous breakdown. She
0: wanted to come home. She didn't want to stay in Philadelphia, and she was not the same person.
1: One of Ellen's best friends, Debbie Schwab, was also concerned, telling the Philadelphia Inquirer that Ellen went from being... One of the happiest people I know to filled with anxiety. When Debbie asked Ellen if there was something wrong, there would be a
0: long silence. She didn't want to talk about it.
1: Yeah, from everything I've read, her parents would really try to get to the bottom of what was going on and her friends. And she said it was because of school, that she had some problematic Mm -hmm. kids in her class and that school was really stressful. And that was all she would say.
0: Sometimes, you know, you, you can suffer in silence of all yes. kinds of things and people don't know. Well, I will say I do not like the later stigmatization that we're going to see that it's perfectly fine for somebody to be struggling with something, do exactly what she does, which is reach out and get help, telling you know, your family that you need help, even if you don't tell them exactly what's going on behind the scenes. And you hate to see that that be used against her yes. later. Yes.
1: Yeah, as someone who has struggled with anxiety since I was a child and mm-hmm. depression and does therapy, is on medication, if that was later used against me by the police as a reason why I could have taken my own life in their eyes, um, that kind of stigmatization is why people aren't honest about mental health and why they might not reach out and get help or admit that they're on medication and everything. You can have issues, struggle mentally, be on medication, but not want to kill yourself. Yeah, or it's not fair to say
0: because somebody has anxiety, because they've been prescribed psychiatric medicine, they couldn't have been murdered Right. They obviously did it to themselves. Look at these pill bottles around. Yeah, That's that's ableism. That's discrimination based on somebody's mental health status. Then that's exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yes, mm-hmm. I, absolutely. Uh, is to just label it when, you know, you walk in a room and go, oh, well, there's that's easy. There's medicine here. So clearly, if it says that a certain percentage of people uh, suffer from this as a side effect, that must have been what happened. Mm hmm.
1: Her parents also tried to get to the root of their daughter's sudden onset of anxiety. Sandy told the Philadelphia Inquirer,
0: I was trying to go full circle everything I could think of to find out what she was so concerned about. I just thought she felt overwhelmed.
1: Ellen claimed she was stressed at work and even asked her parents if she could move in with them for a while, despite them living in Harrisburg, nearly two hours away from the apartment Ellen shared with Sam. She assured her parents the decision had nothing to do with her relationship. While Ellen had never expressed trouble between her and Sam to her parents, her father, Josh, recalled to the Daily Mail, one of the changes he had noticed in his daughter when trying to make plans. Everything was, I'll have to check with Sam. i have to see what Sam says.
0: That, um, speaking in personal terms, mm-hmm. as a person who was in a relationship where I felt trapped on a... Train going somewhere I didn't want to go, but everybody was super excited about the direction it was going. Zero people in my life knew what was going on. Yep, zero people. My best friend, leanne my wife. Yep. (laughs) Until like the moments before I ended it, did not know what was going on. My sister did not know. My mom did not know. And when you end a relationship, and people are shocked and they ask you, "Why? Oh my gosh." You guys were perfect together. You were so happy together. You told me you were super excited. You guys were so in love. You told me all these things. And then you then feel very trapped and like, okay, well, I guess I'm a liar because I told everybody everything was fine because I was super ashamed about what was going on behind closed doors. And when you tell people we broke up, I had a family member literally cry to me Mm. and was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Not Not the other person's family member, my own family member, not an immediate family member, an extended family member. But nevertheless, I had to say, you need to understand this was for me personally, because you don't want to air all that out because it is embarrassing. And so all that to say, from a personal perspective, sometimes everything can seem super fine. And that's not necessarily the truth. We don't know if that was going on here, but I would like to, again, with taking pieces of evidence and going, oh, well, somebody was happy when they talked about their fiance. So everything must have been fine. That is not always the case. And that is personal, personal anecdote (laughs) speaking right there.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to clarify, things are great with my current fiance. <laughs> Paris is wonderful. When I worked at the domestic violence shelter, one of the things that stood out to me the most when we were receiving training was one of my supervisors saying, one of the main questions that everybody gets and that you will get from you know people too is, well, why didn't she just leave? Mm-hmm. And she said, think about all of the relationships you have been in that had no abuse present and that you stayed in them way longer than you should have for whatever reason it might be. Mm-hmm. I've I've done that several Same. times, you 100%. know, totally unhappy, knew this wasn't going to work out. But you keep staying with them for those are your own reasons, whatever it is. Well, and humans are
0: not are." uh they don't want change, right? We don't right. we like this we like to say this
1: we're receptive to just regularity, uniformity. And it's scary. It's scary to oh, yeah. rip that band-aid off and everything. But then she said, So take all those reasons and then on top of that, add on that you're being emotionally abused, you're being physically abused, you're being isolated from your family. Controlled. You're being controlled. They look at your mileage in your car and see exactly how many miles you've been driving and then track if you know, if you've gone anywhere that you said you that you weren't supposed to go, like all of that kind of stuff. So that being said, if something was going on and she didn't tell friends, family, her therapist, whoever, by no means does that mean something wasn't going on. Correct. And again, I think it's
0: unfair for uh, people to label in hindsight and go, well, th- this couldn't be it because there's no evidence of it. I think mm-hmm. at best undetermined. Yes, and based on evidence, is it undetermined? We'll I, see.
1: I was about to say, in my opinion, and I'm going to be clear, this is based my... this sexual is sexual evidence in my from opinion, forensic opinion, ba- Based on evidence that is in the autopsy report, I think she was being abused. And I think the, at least. Physically, and I think the evidence points to that. In January 2011, Ellen made two visits to Dr. Ellen Berman a psychiatrist who first prescribed Ellen Xanax for what she diagnosed as severe anxiety, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. She then switched her to Ambien, a sleep aid, and Klonopin, a sedative that can also help with anxiety. On January 8th, Ellen texted her mom, letting her know, I'm starting the med. I know you don't understand, but I can't keep living feeling this way. Nine days later, it appeared the meds had started to help, with Ellen again texting her mom. Clonopin helped, thank God. Thrilled her daughter was feeling better. Sandy replied,
0: So happy for you.
1: And ecstatic Ellen replied, Me too, OMG. Commend her for knowing that she was feeling this way and taking the steps that hopefully we all take when we feel that mm-hmm. way. Getting help, speaking to a professional, getting on meds if that's recommended, taking them as prescribed, mm-hmm. and then it looked like it started to help. I've taken... All of these medications, I read that she had also, I think even before the Xanax was prescribed Zoloft, and that didn't work. I have taken Zoloft. I currently take Xanax. I've taken Clonopin. I've taken Ambien. All of these things um, are normal things to be prescribed when you take anxiety, and they, from my experience, also helped.
0: Yeah, I've taken Ambien because I had significant severe Night terrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was in college, actually, it was actually when I was going to college, working full time, and studying for the bar exam. As we see in my life, I tend to do seventeen things at once, mm-hmm. um, and push my brain to the brink. And Ambien really did help. I mean, it's it stopped my night night terror. I mean, I slept through the night. It was mm-hmm. what I needed. Um, did you have was, crazy dreams though? When I no, it was opposite. I was having crazy dreams oh, really? when I was not on it. I was having. I mean, I had a nightmare so bad that I could not be. Woken. I was sitting up in bed sobbing because the nightmare was going on. I wasn't like quite acting the nightmare out, but I was it's very graphic. I dreamt that I had put a gun in my mouth Mm. and I didn't want to do that. But it was so realistic and I was so scared by it. But it was still going on. But I couldn't because it was a night terror. I couldn't wake myself up that I was sitting. Is that what
1: that means? A night terror that you you like lucid dreaming?
0: Or no, it's not even lucid because I couldn't. I then started trying to meditate so I could lucid dream and so now when I have night terrors sometimes I still scream it's like one in five dreams I scream now I ha- I've trained my brain to say this is a dream I'm going to stop this you are not real I can control this now which took years for me to be yeah. able to do um uh, there's a lot of stuff anyway aphagogic state like you have to meditate in it whatever but at the time I didn't have that and so I they they gave me ambient eventually the night terror stopped once I, once I Took the LSAT, was you know good to go, started mm-hmm. law school and everything. Then I didn't. It was kind of prescribed to me as needed for these stress nightmares, so and they, they said, were stress induced. Yeah, and they said if you could not be as, you know, if you get more sleep, because I wasn't sleeping regularly, so I was drinking a ton of caffeine, I wasn't eating right and everything. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that to say is Ambien does not necessarily, again, there are side effects to everything, but I will say that dream that I had was before I ever was on Mm -hmm. Ambien. And I I would not ever say I had suicidal ideations. That just was a stress-induced dream that I had, and then the Ambien actually, I had no dreams.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't, I think I did have some pretty wild dreams. I also didn't take it for very long but i slept soundly when i did take it but on all of these medications that i've taken that she was taken i while suicidal thoughts depression suicidal ideation are all possible side effects i did not experience them
0: and i think that there we do live in a stigmatized society where you say oh she's on anxiety medicine and this this is the side effect that's probably what it was Mm -hmm. it makes sense
1: I say that because I read well, a bunch of bitchy or, Reddit comments yesterday about this case. Or that she was struggling with anxiety, so she probably took her own life because of that. Like a- Again, it's that's totally an armchair, yes. not even
0: an armchair expert, that's an
1: armchair idiot to say something like that. Do you know how many people are diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder? I mean, throw a stone. Like, oh, yeah. literally, of my friend group, everyone <laughs> i mean it's like i honestly feel like everyone has anxiety yeah yeah you know and everyone could could be in therapy talking about stuff and And of course when you read the signs of it i was like oh my grandma had that yeah (laughs) you know of course there's more having anxiety is normal it's when it becomes obsessive thoughts and catastrophizing Mm -hmm. and you can't control it and it's out of control that it becomes more of an issue or if it, it interferes with your daily living yes exactly yeah On January 19th, Ellen had a psychiatrist visit where she discussed her relationship with her fiancé. According to the official police report, Ellen's doctor noted she said positive things about Sam, even smiling when talking about him. She noted that there was no indication of abuse, having specifically asked Ellen. Ellen's parents also told Oxygen that they didn't see any red flags in the relationship, even calling Sam. Fine young man. Additionally, Dr. Berman told investigators that... There were never any feelings of suicidal thoughts. Even writing in Ellen's file. Not suicidal. So a professional that she saw three yes. times, yeah. spoke to in depth three times, and had another appointment on the books at the mm-hmm. time of her death, mm-hmm. said she was not suicidal.
0: I would agree also with the uh, behavior that we're about to see going on. These are mm-hmm. not the... and. Uh, well, yeah, let's go. Let's keep going. I <laughs> got. I have
1: so many opinions about oh. this. I'm trying to save them and do them in order. Yeah. On January 22nd, 2011, Ellen and Sam sent out their save the dates. They also made plans with friends to go out for Sam's birthday that coming weekend. On Wednesday, January 26th, a blizzard hit Philadelphia, blanketing the city in snow. School at Juniata Park Academy let out early, and Ellen left for her apartment at the Venice Lofts. Sam was there, and the two were together until he left for the gym. Sam told police he left at 4.45 p.m. and returned at 5.15 or 5.30. When he got back, the U-bolt lock on the front door had been engaged from the inside, preventing Sam from being able to enter. According to Sam, he banged on the door and called out for Ellen, which several neighbors reported hearing. When this went unanswered, he began texting Ellen to come let him in. Timestamps show the texts were sent between five thirty two and five fifty four PM. Which read Hello Open the door What are you doing? I'm getting pissed.
0: Hello? You better have an excuse. What the fuck? You have no idea. So she got gas on the way home. I think that's important to note. She she topped up her gas tank. We're gonna we just again there's a lot of People go, well, I mean, she clearly had been planning to take her life. There's a lot of stuff that that uh, goes against that. And I think filling up your
1: gas tank, one of them. I don't think you send out – well, that's – it could – is is it possible? Sure. To send out save the dates and then later decide you wanted to take your own life. But that is not typical behavior of someone that is having suicidal thoughts or that plans on killing themselves to – Send out your save-the-dates. Schedule things that are, like, appointments your psychiatrist. Plan things with your friends for the upcoming weekend. Mm-hmm. Put yes. gas in your car on the way home. These are all things that point towards future plans that she had and, yeah, and, and was making. I mean, it, it, there,
0: you know, it's, what is the DSM? You know, there's There are signs and signals that possibly, even sometimes in retrospect, but, you know, you... They rehearse behaviors, certain behaviors, uh, express that there's it's all hopeless. There's no hope mm-hmm. left. You know, making preparations, giving things away, mm-hmm. um, strangely saying, well, I'm not going to be here around then or whatever, you know, or like, it's really I just want you to know if anything happens to me, I love you, you know, or even th- threatened it, talked about it, previous attempts. Again, that's not everything. You know, everybody's different, right? Sure. Every person's different. Every case is different. But, you know, leaving up a wedding planning website on your computer instead mm-hmm. of maybe a note or something like that also uh like 68 pieces of evidence we're about to go through right now that clearly show that this the, the third-party actor yes for sure uh t- t- inflicted the the wounds we're about to hear about and we'll we'll tell you i feel like an opening statement as an attorney I'm like the evidence will show <laughs> uh i am an attorney that's why i feel like one but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like we're at trial
1: <laughs> yes sometime before six thirty p.m Sam went down to the lobby to ask the security guard, 67-year-old Phil Stanton, to open the apartment, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hanton told him it was against policy to open the apartment's door. Despite this, Sam returned to the lobby several more times, asking Hanton to let him in, each time mentioning how he had been at the gym and was locked out. So the timeline is he says he leaves at 445
0: and his key fob, because it's an electronic apartment door, I guess, shows this. That he leaves at 4.45 and he says he returns, quote, between 5.15 and 5.30, but the texting didn't begin until 5.32. And then texting for about a half an hour, 5.32 to 5.54, and then another half an hour before breaching the door, including trips to the lobby to talk
1: with the security guard. Let me ask you this. If you had just seen Paris in your house... Yes. You leave to go to the gym. Yes. You come back. You can't get into your house because it's there's a, a lock that you can't get undone. Mm-hmm. How long before you start to really panic and think something terrible has happened and you need to get in there ASAP? I mean, immediately, because I uh, automatically
0: panic. I'll say from the flip side, one time I was on a conference call and I locked Paris out of the house, and then I heard scuffling in the attic because he had, in the garage, climbed into our attic and crawled through the house into the internal attic door and climbed down because... Are you kidding me? No, I was terrified. On the conference call, I had to say, I'm so sorry, I have to go and see what's happening because we have a staircase inside, you know, the... The little ladder that pops down. I heard the squeak of the oh hinges on the ladder. <laughs> and I was like, and it was him. Um, And then vice versa. He's locked me out as well. Uh, but we've now made keys for one another. So we have keys. But I think the timeline here is a, it's a, it's a long timeline. We always say it's we don't know how, we know, we don't know how we would react. But I think it's, that's not how I would react. Yeah. I can say yeah. that much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with that certainty.
1: I would also say I personally would not send um, what I consider to be kind of asshole texts. If I, if, oh, these are rude. Yeah.
0: Hello. Yeah. Okay. Maybe open the door. Average. What are you doing? That's fine. I'm getting pissed. Don't fucking talk to a woman like that. Mm-mm. Hello. Again, reasonable. You better have an excuse. I consider that, this fucking rude. That's, it also sounds, in my threatening? opinion threatening yes in my opinion threatening what the fuck again that's a reasonable ah and then you
1: have no idea that is chilling to me yes yeah that that to me reads you have no idea dot 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 what i'm gonna do to you you better yeah you better get ready
0: uh so you know are these rude yes or do we have evidence that they were sent? Oh, yeah. I mean, we they're sure. up for interpretation. None of them have emojis or punctuation. So we can't interpret. But not
1: one of these appears to sound concerned. Correct. No, never was it, is everything okay? Yeah. What's going What's going on? I mean, he Correct. he does say, what are you doing? Yes. But if I left my house, I couldn't get back in, and I knew Tommy was here. I would try calling, texting, but it would be like, babe, I'm getting worried. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Is everything okay?
0: Yeah. Where you are know? you? What's going on? Yes. Yeah. Is it everything would be, okay?
1: It would be very concerned, less aggravated.
0: So we have then a time between 5.54 p.m. and the door is breached. Uh, the door is allegedly breached at 6.30 that... There's uh, just a visit or two, a couple of visits to the front desk, to the security guard at the front desk. So then, but not a full accounting of what happened between 554 and 630. Correct. Okay.
1: Around 630 p.m., Sam claimed he broke down the apartment door. Inside, he found Ellen, dead on the kitchen floor, bloodied and covered in stab wounds. She was sitting upright, slumped against a cabinet in a seated position. At 6.33 p.m., he called 911. It would later be discovered, however, that 911 was not the first call he made upon finding Ellen's body, according to the Daily Mail. First, he called his parents, then his uncle, a lawyer. The 911 dispatcher instructed Sam to start performing CPR, to which he replied, Do I have to? However, his resistance wouldn't matter. Three minutes into the call... Sam told the dispatcher that a knife was sticking out of Ellen's chest, something he had apparently failed to notice until then. He told the dispatcher. She must have fallen on it. Sam was told to immediately stop CPR procedures and to wait for the police. I was not able to hear this call. It, hasn't, not, been, it hasn't been released. It hasn't
0: been publicly released. My review of the civil lawsuit by the family against medical examiner in its office was that it took... Quite a time for the family to get a copy of this 911 call. 11 months for them to produce it. Is
1: that normal? Uh, no.
0: I mean, the one thing I can say is it's a long... You know, it's 10 years ago, and this was in 2020, so I guess it was almost 10 years ago, when they were asking... But still, one would imagine these would be digitally kept and it's a matter of searching files. I I mean, again, I I don't know the intricacies of the municipal record-keeping system, but they seem to be, in my professional opinion, fucking terrible because it took 11 months to give over what is, one would hope, pretty innocuous. So, again, I can't speak to the inner workings of the Philadelphia municipal system, you know, the municipal file-keeping system, but... Either it's incompetence or somebody didn't want somebody to have... They didn't want the Greenbergs to have a copy of Mm it. Either or. We don't know.
1: Let's also briefly discuss...
0: um, Do I have to? If someone asks you to perform CPR on your... Yeah. ...bloodied fiancé, do I have
1: to? Do I have to Is, is your
0: response. Again, we can't know how we would react in that situation, but it seems... I feel
1: like I do know how I would react. Yes, a thousand percent And it would be, I will do anything to save my, this person's life. Yeah. Just, I, they could be covered in blood head to toe. And, you know, I don't understand why there would be any pause to do that. Mm-hmm. A resistance
0: at a life-saving measure.
1: No. I also would... Call 911 before I called anybody
0: else. Uh, Yeah, somebody's bleeding on the floor. uh, Mm -hmm. One would think that time would be of the essence, priority-wise, that you would want to call the police unless you wanted the people that you called to be there when the police
1: got there. This is very true. Gotta say, it's also pretty strange that um, three minutes into the call, you see a 10-inch knife sticking out of her chest. Uh, I think that would be one of the first things you would probably notice.
0: Pretty noticeable. One would think if you were standing next to the body.
1: Yes. We're being very um, intentional in how we're we're speaking. And if you listen to the show a lot, you've probably picked up on that. If this is your first time listening, we are intentionally... Being very thoughtful, thoughtful in how we speak about
0: this. You know yes. what? You know, because right now, legally, her cause of death is suicide.
1: Yes, that is true. And Heather is a lawyer, and <laughs> we we know things. We're thoughtful again. We're we're, we're, we're just being people. thoughtful
0: and presenting the evidence as it has uh, been made available in public filings to us and correct, the news. Correct.
1: Yes, and the rest is just our opinion. I can't go on until I also address she must have fallen on it. Yes. I mean, I would... I uh, um, I don't know that the
0: positioning of it would indicate that based on the several forensic reports I've read. Uh, But yeah. I'm not... I it's wasn't there. It's also...
1: I'm trying to figure out logistically how one anyone would fall onto a knife that was lodged straight into your your chest. Unless you were holding it beneath you like you would hold a candle.
0: Yeah, like the wrong way. You know? Yes. You like gotta go out facing knives it, out. Yeah.
1: And uh leaned over and somehow slipped and fell on it. I'm I have no idea Even how then, this would happen. You would have to there's a lot of what
0: not to puncture to go that mm-hmm. many inches in.
1: hmm Yeah. Yes, it you don't. It almost have to be sticking up on the floor, and you fell from a high height, and you fell walking and tripped and fell that hard onto a knife that happened to be sticking straight up off your your floor.
0: Yeah. On the flip side, you're in shock, and you are just trying to say, maybe she fell on it. True. And you're not just trying to give an uh, answer in advance of
1: a That's question true. that hasn't been asked i don't know i mean there is something to be said i don't know if it applies here but there is something to be said for when people are in shock they do tend they they can react in a way that they wouldn't normally react it's like denial you're like in denial like oh. you you almost disassociate from yourself mm-hmm. so your your brain can it's anyone that suffers like has suffered trauma and stuff mm-hmm. you can disassociate because it's your brain's way of protecting yourself Assistant District Attorney Guy D'Andrea, who later reviewed Ellen's case at the Greenberg's behest, said that he found the 911 call odd, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. While he acknowledged that everyone processes shock and grief differently, Sam's demeanor appeared completely calm on the call. Additionally, rather than answer the dispatcher's questions, he kept reiterating how he had been at the gym.
0: I would tend to agree with Guy D'Andrea's assessment.
1: When police arrived, they found Ellen, as Sam had, propped up against a cabinet with her legs out in front of her. However, oddly, there was a straight line of blood on Ellen's face, running horizontally from her nostril to the back of her ear. Significantly, there were no drag marks or dripping, things that are inconsistent with her being found in a seated position. Despite having suffered 20 stab wounds, there was not a significant amount of blood. There was also a clean white towel in her left hand, that showed only a single bloodstain in the lower portion and a reddish-pink colored area near her left hand. On the counter was a strainer filled with fresh fruit and several pieces on the counter that were in the process of being cut. Two clean knives lay in the sink. In the bedroom was her laptop, open to a wedding planning site.
0: This is when we start to see uh, what the investigator uh, Former Detective Brennan discusses as a staged crime scene, and what another expert, uh, Detective Scott Eelman, who's a specialist, he specializes in crime scene reconstruction, would tend to agree. The pattern of the blood stain on the face is significant. There was the one going from her nose, there was also another one that was from the top right of her hairline that terminated in the end of her left eyebrow. So if you're going, if you're laying on your side Mm -hmm. easily, that's where the blood is going to go is Mm -hmm. the direction of gravity. Right. If you're sitting up straight and you get a, you know, say you cut your your hairline, you know, right above your right eyebrow, Mm -hmm. that's going to go straight down the side of your face. Mm -hmm. There's several lines of blood that Scott Eelman, Detective Eelman, uh, the crime scene reconstructionist, analyzes that. I would say, forensically prove that she was sat up by somebody yes. well after she was gone, well after the blood had stopped running. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, the area around her is odd insofar it's pretty as... pretty clean, pretty clean. It's very clean for the 20 stab wounds. And the way that the blood spatter and the, the investigators report is um, part of the civil and It's public record. I mean, he talks about how the way the bloodstains are on the front of her sweatshirt, there's voids, right? A void pattern is where there's no bloodstains. Indicates that she was bent over, se- seated, bent forward and crouching and huddled. And to me, that would be consistent that someone was above you, mm-hmm. attacking you from above. And then there's also, her glasses were to the right of her. And... There's also and so there's some smudges on the glasses that are you know far away from her, and there's also a defined edge to this larger blood stain that's between her and her glasses, and the lower edge of this big blood stain next to her to her right has what they described as a defined edge, and so he he said it would be a diluted or altered blood stain next to that, but the defined edge would indicate that there was something in the way when the blood flowed that direction. And that's why the there's a line there's like a line in the blood stain. There's also all this stuff about the smudges on the cabinets where clearly she had leaned against another cabinet. So, so, there's a significant amount of evidence.
1: There's also there was she was wearing UGG boots. Yes, and there was blood droplets on the top of her UGG boots that indicated she had been standing for part of it. Yes, yeah, and the you know the
0: certain blood stains were. Should have been elliptical, but they were circular, which indicates... So th- there's a... Uh, I'll tell you what. This Scott Eelman, he knows what he's doing. It's thorough. And S-
1: Sarah Wecht, who oh, is... come on. I mean, if you listen to any true crime or watch any anything about true crime, you know who he is. He was probably most famous for challenging the single bullet theory in the JFK case. But he looked at all of this as well and said... There's no way. Yeah. I mean, all of this, Henry Lee, who is a renowned mm-hmm. forensic expert, said the blood sp- uh, just doesn't, it doesn't tell the story of suicide. Correct. And it's very hard to argue with science. And that's why people go in and document all of this. So it's not just a guessing game and conjecture. Yeah, you don't is wander it- in and go, oh, a person who has anxiety died. Oh, they must have
0: done it themselves. Right. Anyways, boys, clean it up. Time to go, which is what happened here. <laughs> you look
1: at the facts you look at what science has presented you mm-hmm. and then you base your case on that you don't decide the outcome and then try and fit all the stuff you find into it into the thing you've already pre-decided yes that
0: is uh i would say the wrong way is possibly what happened here. This is not what sherlock holmes taught us which is where you follow the evidence and, t- and follow it where it leads you correct the knife block was also tipped over yes
1: on the counter askew
0: and there is also significant evidence that there was more than one knife used in the attack based yes. on the shapes of the wounds
1: sam remained on scene and was cooperative according to police reports his family members who also according to police reports were already present when the police arrived surrounded him as he gave his statement Sam said he had broke down the door with the help of Hanton, the security guard, according to the Daily Mail. Later, police reports, however, showed that Hanton said he never left his post, despite Sam asking several times. Hanton would later tell one of the Greenberg's attorneys that while Sam kept telling him he had been at the gym, Hanton found it odd that Sam was wearing boots instead of sneakers. Per protocol, Sam was handcuffed and taken to the police station, where he gave a brief statement with his attorney present. He was then released,
0: which is fair. I always say you can have a lawyer with you. Sure. I, all, you should. I haven't made it a rule in my life yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say it to you guys. Don't wear Timberland boots if you're going to go work out. I don't think they're going to provide you the stabilization you need to do the athletic things you're going to do.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what the other clothes were, but typically you don't wear workout shorts and a T-shirt with Timberland boots. To, or track pants with Timberland boots, something that you yeah. might go. where you're probably wearing slacks or jeans, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there are no photographs of Sam Goldberg on
0: this day. There were not; none were taken by police.
1: Which is one of the many things that just fell through the cracks. Question mark.
0: Apparently, according to the petition that was filed by the Greenbergs, when the police arrived on scene, they stated the the petition says. Most of the police who arrived on the scene thought that it was a homicide, except Mm -hmm. for the lead on scene homicide detective emphasized that it was a suicide is what the civil petition says. Interesting. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, when the weather gets warmer like this, the last thing I want to do is be all sweaty in the kitchen cooking over a hot stove. No thank you. But also, I don't want to order takeout for every meal.
1: This is why I love Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It takes literally minutes to prepare, and I personally love knowing that the food I'm eating is actually good for me. Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. My
0: personal summer favorite are the Daily Harvest Scoops. They're plant based ice cream. Scoops are the perfect sweet treat. Plus, it's gluten and dairy free, and y'all know me, I'm allergic to wheat, so it's great.
1: The ice cream is a family fave over mm-hmm. here as well. That black sesame. Mm-hmm. Mm. Paris uses it to make milkshakes. He loves it. Okay. I mm-hmm. that is very good to know. I had not thought about doing that. But oh, yeah. yes, definitely. Well, Daily Harvest is all about leaving the earth in a better place than they found it. Not just for us, but for future generations to come. They focus on increasing biodiversity, investing in organic farming practices, reducing food waste, and even prioritizing recyclable and compostable packaging. Daily Harvest is
0: delicious food all built on whole organic fruits and
1: vegetables that conveniently stay fresh in your freezer so it's ready to go when you are. It's really the whole package. Stay cool, calm, and collected during the summer heat. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter code CREEPY to get $25 off your first box. That's code CREEPY for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com.
0: By now, pretty much everybody's heard of CBD, and if there was ever a time to get started with CBD, it's
1: now. What both scientists and those who use CBD regularly know is that it helps with daily stresses, but you have to use a quality product to get quality results. Charlotte's Web hemp
0: extracts are tested 20 plus times from seed to final product. Unlike many companies, Charlotte's Web has their own proprietary hemp genetics, so the end products are consistent, meaning you know what to expect
1: from each bottle. And they're a mission-driven B Corp, which just means that they've promised to help the planet and humanity and all that good stuff. I really love the uh, CBD Medic
0: eczema cream, or it's Mm -hmm. eczema ointment. It really relieves itching in the summer months. I mean, winter, summer, it doesn't matter what time of year, my skin is very irritated. I've been stressed
1: out lately which Mm who who isn't the uh mint chocolate chip is or the mint chocolate is my personal favorite of the cbd oil that they carry just put a dropper of that under my tongue and it really helps me manage my everyday stresses Well, go to charlottesweb.com and get started with the OG CBD brand who kicked
0: off this whole CBD craze and use code CREEPY at checkout to save 15% on your order. This
1: code works on all CBD products besides bulk bundles. That's charlottesweb.com. Use code CREEPY to save 15% on your order. Despite the position of her body, lack of blood nearby, and no note being found, police quickly declared Ellen's death a suicide. The Philadelphia Inquirer reported they came to this conclusion, based on the deadbolted front door that had been locked from the inside with a hotel-style U-bar lock. The back door led to a six-floor balcony that was covered in snow and showed no footsteps. There was no sign of an intruder or forced entry. Aside from the front and back door, there were no other ways in or out of the apartment. Ellen also appeared not to have any defensive wounds, another reason police ruled it a suicide. For those of you who are visual,
0: we're talking about the hotel U-bar lock. So when you go to a hotel, attached to the door is a little thing that dangles. And then attached to the frame is a U-shaped bar that goes around that mm-hmm. thing on the door. Yeah. And it slides through that, the lock. to, So when you can open it like a crack, you know, maybe as wide as you know four or five inches.
1: Yes. I will um, just side note. I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos on... How one might be able to, um, lock one of these from the outside or, mm-hmm. uh, I will be taking my own lock to yes. a hotel from now on because yeah. there are m- millions of videos that show mm-hmm. how easy it is to open those. I mean, people were using. I saw one where it was like anything you might find in the bar at a hotel. Yes, it was like a menu card. Yes, like that or a credit card or somebody had a drink stirrer and a stick of gum or a piece of chewed up gum. It is extremely easy to open those doors. And I have seen people before say that travel a lot. I think maybe this was a discussion even on our Patreon that um, they make uh, portable – Alarm systems that mm-hmm. you can like stick onto your drawer and I think it was a, a flight attendant said that she does that when she travels. There's also like locks you can take your own lock
0: mm-hmm. to lock the I door saw it on
1: Amazon, where it locks the door handle part.
0: So even if they had the key card, it would jam it. Like they can't mm-hmm. turn the the handle because yeah, the U bar is garbage. It's not. It, it, it ain't doing nothing for nobody. Nah, it's purely decoration.
1: While the door being locked from the inside was one of the biggest reasons police ruled Ellen had died by suicide. Police veteran-turned-criminal investigative analyst Tom Brennan told the Daily Mail, there's no way a lock like that can be kicked in without it coming off the door frame, but the
0: only damage was one missing screw.
1: Additionally, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported that both Brennan and Deandrea were able to easily locate multiple online videos demonstrating how to lock swing bar locks from the outside. We probably watch the same videos. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is, you know, some of the evidence that's in the
0: civil suit is the police did not investigate this at all. They took Sam's word right. for it. And if you look at the photo, which we can include when we post them on Instagram, it's also in the Daily Mail, one of the many Daily Mail articles. But you see it's that the part that's attached to the door remains loosely attached to the door. And the part that's on the frame, the actual U-bar, is totally still attached. Mm-hmm. So And the wood is a bit splintered. Yes. Investigators said, OK, well, obviously he kicked it in from the outside If that were true, the people who the crime scene reconstructionists and people like that say at least one of the ends would have had to have been ripped from the screws, either the part on the door or the part on the frame. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense that it's only partially I mean, it's still attached to the Mm -hmm. door, the part, the portion that's still attached to the door. So the lawsuit says that, you know, that the photograph of the door lock it's consistent with the application to the force, like the application of force to the door, which means, you know, they're trying to yank it open down or you know open and shut, but not entry. So the theory that's posited by the lawsuit says the door had been pulled from the inside, causing the damage seen in the photograph and then manually disengaged. And again, he told police he kicked the door open in the presence of the security guard, but. We hear already the security guard's like, I was not there. I ain't trying to leave my post. I'm going to get fired if I leave my post.
1: So that theory would posit that the door was unlocked without damage from the outside. And then shut once whoever unlocked it was inside, relocked, and then pulled on the door to make it look like it had been kicked open. That could be possible. You know, is that's, that what that theory is
0: saying? Well, that evidence says that it was... The, the damage depicted in the photograph indicates it was not kicked in from the outside. But in recreations, that similar damage could be duplicated by somebody on the inside of the door
1: locking the bar and yanking on it with a lot of force. Okay. Yeah. On January 27th, 2011... An autopsy was performed by then-assistant Philadelphia medical examiner Marlon Osborne. It detailed eight stab wounds to Ellen's chest, with depths ranging from 0.2 centimeters to four inches, including the one where the 10-inch serrated Cutco brand knife had been lodged into her chest. She had also suffered a two-inch stab wound to her stomach, a 2.4-inch gash on her head, and 10 wounds to the back of her neck, ranging from nicks to three inches deep. Ellen also had multiple bruises all over her body in various states of healing, including on her hips, her inner and outer thighs, arms, and around both of her wrists. While the police had initially ruled Ellen's cause of death suicide, after this examination, the medical examiner declared her death a homicide. couple things with regards to the cuts.
0: We said earlier we would like to be called world-renowned forensic experts. Before I read the actual, like, family's lawsuit, I found a copy of Dr. Henry Lee's report. And as I was reading Dr. Henry Lee's report, before I got to the conclusion, he goes through each and every cut and describes each and every cut. And some of the cuts have smooth outer edges, which indicates a non-serrated knife Mm -hmm. was used. And then the knife that's in her chest is serrated. And my brain... I kept going. Wait, I'm like, no, no, no. It's saying that there's smooth edges. So I'm, you know, I've l- scroll back up and look back at I'm, am I reading this right? Then I'm looking up, okay, what's the difference in a knife a cut with a serrated knife versus a cut with a non-serrated knife? It's totally you can tell the difference, you know, especially I don't know that I could tell the difference by looking at it, but I bet you Dr. Henry Lee could tell the difference and he did. And so then that's the conclusion is that and then Dr. Ross, Wayne Ross is another forensic pathologist that looked at this and based upon the type of inc- the type of injuries one was serrated one was non-serrated but the only knife that was within arm's reach of her and that was still bloody and not washed off or clean in the sink was the serrated knife mm-hmm. so the you know the family's lawsuit says if one if there's a second knife that's been used but not recovered obviously somebody other than her had to dispose of it so that yeah. alone rules out that there's a suicide here yes second the bruising who are, that are in various stages of resolution, medically speaking, based on the experts that the family, you know, has engaged, some of whom are working pro bono. I mean, their lawyer works pro Mm -hmm. bono, the investigator works pro bono, thankfully, because this has been a 10 years long struggle for this family. Medically speaking, quote, the pattern and severity and number of the bruises suggested repeated physical altercations. Yeah. Again, before I even read that, looking at the photos the crime scene you know the photos of sadly the photos of where her body you know it's it's not the actual photo of her body but it's a um 3d like a yeah this one was like a sketch a sketch of it but yeah yeah, but where it circled it around the wrist
1: on your arms yeah yeah on your on her side Mm -hmm. on her thighs and the police apparently um Their reasoning was she had been playing contact sports, which her family and friends said she did not participate in. Interesting. And I have never played a sport where I had bruises around both my wrists. No. Just saying. Yeah. That same day, Sandy and Josh Greenberg were preparing for their daughter's funeral. Rather than learn this new information from the police... The Greenbergs found out from friends who had seen it on the news. Also preparing for Ellen's funeral was her fiancé, Sam, who, in apparent need of something to wear, sent his uncle and his cousin to the apartment. The two men told the security guard that they were there to retrieve a suit for Sam. According to the Daily Mail, Tom Brennan later uncovered in his investigation that the duo also left with Ellen's personal laptop, work laptop, cell phone, and Sam's laptop, Two days later, they were turned over to the police. However, because the chain of evidence was not followed, anything now found on them is inadmissible in court. Also, her laptop did not have a password uh, protection on it. Yeah. None of this was taken in, as one would do in an an investigation where police were doing their job, because it was immediately declared a suicide. So nobody took in any of the... You know, cell phones, laptops like you normally would if you were investigating something. It wasn't. It also wasn't taped off and shut off and yeah, said, and anybody could open. go in. Yes. Anybody could go in. Yes. And which you know they what? did.
0: Somebody did go in and the apartment manager went in. Yeah. The police gave the apartment manager a card for a crime scene cleanup company and authorized her to have the apartment clean and disinfected before there was an investigation. And I mean... Smart, I assume it's probably because she's an apartment manager and your habit is to film the interior of the space. She in- to film the interior of the apartment, the condition, the contents, and then the crime scene cleanup crew sanitizes and cleans out the whole entire apartment. But she gives her video to the police. And then when the cops, they have the sign of the cops, when the family asks for this video from the police, wouldn't you know, nobody can find it. Hmm. There's a motion to compel pending, to be fair. They may find it from sometime between now and the trial, inevitable trial. But they, as of right now, said there's a lot of digital files and it's really hard to go through. And there's a lot of technical difficulties on their side. And they're just really struggling to try to find it.
1: Hmm. Ellen was laid to rest at the Bethel Temple Sanctuary on January 28, 2011, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, during his eulogy. Ellen's father announced the shocking news they had learned days before to the fellow mourners that Ellen had not died by suicide, but had been killed. With the change in cause of death, Ellen's case was turned over to the Philadelphia Homicide Unit to conduct an investigation. Police spoke with neighbors, who confirmed they had heard Sam yelling and banging on the door, but other than that, they hadn't heard a disturbance. While security cameras did not capture Ellen's hallway— it was confirmed that everyone who entered or exited the building was authorized to be there, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Sam's key fob usage was reviewed as well, and his timeline matched up with everything the police found.
0: There's also lobby footage that also took almost a year for the police to turn over. <laughs> it's egregious. There's there, there's a lot, in my uh, humble opinion, a lot of parallels to the Kristen
1: Smart case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The investigation showed no other DNA except Ellen's on the knife that had been found lodged into her chest. Police claimed that they consulted a neuropathologist, Dr. Lucy Rourke, to determine whether Ellen could have continued injuring herself after she suffered the severe wound on the back of her neck. In February of 2011, police reported that they sent a portion of her spinal cord to Dr. Rourke for examination. Police concluded, based on the doctor's opinion, though the knife did come in contact with her spinal cord. It was not severe enough to cause paralysis. It could, however, have caused Ellen to go numb, potentially allowing her to stab herself multiple times without feeling the intensity of the pain. We haven't really discussed um the fact that this wasn't just a knife in her chest that yes. they saw and then declared suicide, She had 20 stab wounds, Mm -hmm. 10 of them on the back of her neck, Mm -hmm. and a huge two-and-a-half-inch gash on the right side of her head more towards the back, Mm -hmm. what would be consistent with someone being struck over the head from behind. Yes. Uh, Flabbergasting that any police would look at this scene and think suicide. Again, I showed...
0: The there's a um, digital rendering with obviously it's you know one or two knives. Was let's just say it. there were two knives used in the murder. Or, I'm sorry, in the her death, <laughs> there was the homicide, the unexplained death here. Um, the two knives there's but the digital rendering shows the angles and the amount of stab wounds. And when you look at that, I turned and again, Paris is not a not a detective. And I showed it to him, and he's like, "You, that's not a thing. That that's not what." Yeah, that's, you know, insane. when we all look at it, you look at this digital rendering and the angle of the knife, the attacks, especially in the back is a downward fashion with such force Mm -hmm. that you would puncture your spinal column three inches deep into your own neck. The force that it would take. And this was uh, I'm not an easy person to live with because Paris was sitting next to me and I put my finger next to his neck because it's three inches in to get to the spinal to puncture the spinal column. And he said, oh, are you, just, you know trying to rub my neck? I was like, no, I'm measuring how deep this would have to go in. And he's like, Jesus Christ, really? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a visual person. Me and that too. is so deep down in there in a downward fashion, the amount of force it would take to do that. And I saw some, again, not amateur experts, or not armchair experts, armchair dum-dums, uh, armchair fools on reddit saying oh well you know if she's on this medicine she probably just like was making a fruit salad and totally freaked out and just started stabbing herself like crazy okay nice try the toxicology screen showed that the levels of the clonopin Klonop- in her system mm-hmm. was consistent with the prescribed dosage she wasn't od on it there wasn't a ton in her system mm-hmm. it was a trace the trace amount of ambien so it was from the night before and then an average amount of colanopin, which in fact makes you not freak out. It's the opposite of that.
1: Ideally, yes. So mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a lot of it's stuff. Just, adding up yeah, to it just makes no. It makes no sense. I. Anyone that would look at this, I mean, I think it was either Deandria or Brennan was quoted in the Enquirer saying something to the effect of. You don't have to be a forensic expert to look at this and realize that, like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
0: And also the bit, the laceration on her head was Mm -hmm. deep. It was a super deep cut. And they said it would cause severe pain cranial nerve dysfunction, and traumatic brain signs and symptoms. So she might even have numbness, tingling, loss of consciousness. From that one cut, not to mention mm-hmm. there were 19 others, including one that stabbed her in her spinal cord. And you think mm-hmm. she's a superhero and can just move through this, not even just pain, but this
1: extreme debilitation? Yeah. And not to mention loss of blood. Like, you would... Which, wh- where would was that? Where did that I would, blood go? Yeah, exactly. We don't know. I would imagine you would pass out from either pain or loss of blood, before Correct. you could even get halfway through this, yeah. of all the cases we've covered, this, to me, is the most cut and dry of what happened. Yes. That is the most bungled investigation. Correct.
0: I mean, that's that's based on all the ones we've covered and all that we've read. Again, this isn't... I'm not making this up. This is Cyril Weck. This is Henry Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people they are... Decades worth of careers and expert eyes on this. Come on.
1: Yeah. Police were told that Ellen had been diagnosed with anxiety and had been taking prescribed Klonopin and Ambien to help. The medical examiner found traces of both of these medications in Ellen's system at the time of her death, indicating she was taking them as directed. Two possible serious side effects that are listed for both drugs include depression and suicidal thoughts. Police leaned on this to support their original theory and in an unprecedented move, announced that they disagreed with the Emmys finding, once again declaring Ellen's death a suicide. The Greenberg's attorney found this odd, telling Oxygen,
0: That certainly led me to believe that the police had predetermined manner of death in this case, and everything in this investigation was geared toward proving it. And uh, Stephanie Farr, who tons of credit goes to mm-hmm. her for uh, covering the story in the Philadelphia Inquirer and really bringing a ton of uh, expertise, years of reporting on Philly in general, but then also um, a lot of really great in depth investigation into this case said in the Oxygen Show, uh that doesn't happen. She's like, the ME says, this is my medical mm-hmm. findings. The police go, the scientist doctor told us this, so we are going to work with this information, not. We don't fucking care what you say, doctor. Shut your mouth and do what Mm -hmm. we tell you to do. She's like, it was shocking to me that in the press publicly, the cops said, oh, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's wrong. It's suicide. It's always been suicide. It's just unprecedented. That's the that's the term that everyone uses when they hear when they're discussing this. It's unprecedented.
1: Well, yeah, because it discredits the M.E. entirely and all of the other cases that they've ever ruled on. Also that then are you going to go back and say, I mean, well, he declared this one a suicide. Was it a homicide? He declared this one a homicide. Was it a suicide? I mean the person that you've that you instill to make these calls for your cases, you're questioning and saying that you don't think that they're capable of doing their job. That also makes you look uh not very smart because you're the one that is going to him for the answer and I don't i mean that's why we as a
0: society want to have these silos, right? You want to have the scientist that goes listen. Figure it out on your own, my dude. I did the investigation. I'm telling you, science tells me X. I, there's two copies of the death certificate. I've seen them both. One of them, he checks the box. It says multiple stab wounds, checks the box for homicide. Doesn't stay that way for permanently.
1: Right. On March 7th, the medical examiner changed his ruling and declared Ellen's cause of death officially a suicide. Following this, the investigation ceased. The Greenbergs, who once again learned of this news through the media, were shocked and devastated. And then, uh, why? Why did why
0: did the ME do this, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He admitted in October of 2018, he did it solely at the assistance of police because they said there was a lack of defensive wounds.
1: I have no words.
0: I mean, that's and that's a quote directly from the petition. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that is not... Uh That was not your job. Uh I haven't read the handbook, although I have a copy of it, of the medical examiner. What you're supposed to do, what you're supposed
1: to do is follow the evidence. hmm Yeah. And while that was one of the reasons that they gave for their initial ruling, the main thing was the door being locked. Also that... So now they're not going on that anymore. It's lack of defensive wounds. If she was attacked from behind and paralyzed... By a knife going through her spinal cord, which then rendered her unable to fight back. How would she have defensive wounds? She would not. Also, somebody give this family a phone call. Jesus Christ. Text them. Send them an email. You're finding out all of this through the media like anybody, like they're just a lay person that's watching Mm -mm. this like anybody else. Give them a heads up before this hits the media. Disrespectful. From the beginning. Sandy and Josh Greenberg did not believe that their daughter had killed herself. They told Oxygen that while Ellen did struggle with anxiety, she was still happy
0: and that there was never any reason to suspect suicide in any way, shape or form.
1: Ellen's parents also said she was known to be squeamish and had a low tolerance of pain for their daughter to have stabbed herself 20 times seemed unfathomable. It was also very unusual that if Ellen had decided to take her own life, that she would have stabbed herself through her clothing. Something pointed out by chief county coroner and dean of the School of Health Sciences at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, Gregory McDonald.
0: So there's just experts from all fields Mm -hmm. weighing in on this case, and there's a
1: lot of consistency. Because in so many of the things I read from these experts were... An expert contacting another expert saying, you've got to look at this because this is baffling. Mm-hmm. Am I, I missing
0: something? They really yeah. pushed the suicide. Am I missing something? Because all signs clearly point to homicide. Yes.
1: Deciding to conduct their own investigation, the Greenbergs did what no parent should ever have to do and purchased their daughter's autopsy report. Photos of her body from the autopsy. Photos of her body at the scene. And the Emmy's investigation report from the scene according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. They sent the photos to renowned forensic pathologist, Cyril Wecht. Upon looking at them, the Inquirer reported that he
0: said, I don't understand how they wrote this off as a suicide.
1: Specifically, Wecht found the stab wounds on the back of Ellen's neck, highly unusual and more indicative of a homicide than a suicide. The Greenbergs went to the police with this information, but were brushed off. They then sought the help of retired Philadelphia State Police Detective Tom Brennan, who agreed to work Ellen's case for free. Brennan believes Ellen was attacked from behind while preparing a fruit salad based on the items on the counter. He told Oxygen that Ellen was the victim of a blitz attack and had been surprised, cornered, and unable to defend herself or run away. He commented that the lack of defensive wounds doesn't immediately point to suicide. And that he has seen stabbing cases where no defensive wounds were present. He also pointed to the lack of blood in the kitchen, especially where she was found sitting, as well as the clean towel near her hand as evidence that the scene was cleaned and staged to look like a suicide. Yeah,
0: I mean, he pretty much just I mean, he straight out says that this was staged. Yeah. I mean, he's been a detective, as my mom joked with me the other day that she goes, you say that, too, that you've been a detective for 100 years. Right. He's this is his mm-hmm. whole career. He's seen twenty
1: five to be exact, I yeah, believe, but yeah. But he's yeah, seen thousands he's a veteran. and thousands mm-hmm. of cases,
0: and mm-hmm. yet another expert.
1: Add him to the list. He said it was infuriating the just lack of basic police investigation yeah. that that went on. He said, if you walk into a scene like that, you say, "All right." Uh, We need two people to go down and search the trash. We need to, mm-hmm. you know, tape off this area. No one in or out. That wasn't nope. the case at all. None they that imme- He said they immediately looked at it, said suicide, and that was it. hmm In 2015, Guy D'Andrea from the Philadelphia DA's office looked into the case as well and asked police for the results of the Luminol test conducted at the crime scene, according to Oxygen. The police informed Guy D'Andrea that there was no luminol test conducted, meaning if blood had been wiped away from the crime scene and not visible to the naked eye, there would be no way of knowing.
0: Man, when this when I was watching that episode, it's accident, suicide or murder. And this came out. I just your heart just sinks, because Mm -hmm. especially after you hear, you know, this veteran police detective say. Obviously, this was wiped away. And then when you read Detective Scott Eelman's findings that there it had been tampered with, the, the way that the blood is shown on the floor with the straight line, that something had been there to catch the blood, and now there's a pinkish residue where it had been wiped up but not fully wiped up that's visible in the crime scene photos... The one thing that could have showed you that mm-hmm. there was... And that could have helped to determine what had happened, regardless if stuff had been wiped up, would have been a luminol test. And they couldn't even fucking do that.
1: Mm-mm. There's also two clean knives in the sink... That did not get sprayed and luminoled. Right. And if two knives we know one of them was obviously the one that was left in her chest but one of the other ones could have easily have been the one one of the ones that was in the sink because of the pattern of the cuts
0: right that we Mm -hmm. know it wasn't serrated and the knife block that was knocked over that Mm -hmm. wasn't tested the top of the none of it none of it none of it after the effing crime scene cleanup crew comes in days later before Mm -hmm. it's concluded Which, again, is very reminiscent of Kristen Smart. Yes. That it just Mm is like, well, it's, yeah, open it shut. And then everything
1: gets lost. Both Brennan and D'Andrea were especially troubled by the horizontal line of blood that had been found on Ellen's cheek, running from her nose to her ear. Police had theorized that she had either stabbed herself to death while standing up and then slid to the ground or had been seated the entire time. Either way, this simply does not add up for D'Andrea, who has said that the blood on Ellen's cheek defies gravity and that either she moved herself or someone moved her according to the Philadelphia Inquirer.
0: Yeah, I think those, uh, and there's, like I said, the one from her nose to her ear, the one from the top of the head to the eyebrow on the other side of her face. And there's a couple of other ones, one that's from the corner of her eye that goes down and then uh, branches into three different directions. All of them point to her being on her side uh, when the, St- the At least the stabbing on her head occurred, and somehow she's sitting up. And st- on her side, long enough for blood to dry in a gravitational pull towards the mm-hmm. ground, and yet she's found sitting up.
1: Not to mention your spinal cord has been Correct. severed. How are you going to sit yourself up into—you're paralyzed. Yes, that is also true. And it's her—the blood splatter also shows— she was standing part of it for part of it at least mm-hmm. so if she had decided to sit down and do this to herself mm-hmm. the the blood i mean it's science you can't argue Again, with it yeah, it just it's doesn't show it yeah it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's i mean the uh, the arrogance and audacity to think that you can just explain away science like this Mm-mm. yeah yeah, I mean I think you hope that
0: uh people just shut up and take it and don't say anything and don't fight yep. back, but you know, these these parents and uh, they're doing what no parent should have to do, but every parent Yep would do would do. Paris said that last night. He said, I would die. It would be my dying breath I would be fighting yes. for this. And he A said there I said, these, these folks
1: are not gonna give up and I hope they don't. No. No. And they've said they won't. I mm-hmm. mean I would I would my entire life would be dedicated to seeking justice. Yeah. Sinisterhood.
0: We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Um, I was obviously working two jobs, super stressed, running the podcast, doing all kinds of things. And I wanted somebody to talk to about my daily stresses, what's going on, ways I can cope, healthy ways for me to take care of myself. And I found BetterHelp. And I found my wonderful therapist who's given me all kinds of wonderful gems of solid, beautiful
1: advice. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range
0: of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get
1: timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in a waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great
0: therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than
1: traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com Sinister. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional.
0: In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We have a special offer for Sinisterhood listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com
1: Sinister. In 2020, Ellen's parents had a neuropathologist of their own inspect her spinal cord sample. This expert determined that Ellen's spinal cord had been pierced and her spinal cord was severed by the stab wound to the back of her neck rendering it impossible for her then to have lodged the knife in her own chest. Assistant District Attorney Guy D'Andrea was given a name by police of the original neuropathologist who conducted the earlier examination. However, when a reporter reached out to that doctor, Dr. Rourke, Dr. Rourke concluded that based on her records, or lack thereof, she did not conduct the exam, saying, I would conclude that
0: I did not see the specimen in question, although there is a remote possibility that it was shown to me. However, I have no recollection of such a case. Um. Yeah, she said she also had a system, right, that when she would get asked to consult on something, she would make a full report, send the report, send an invoice so she would get paid, and she has copies of every single case, every single report she's made, every single invoice, and she does not have an invoice or a report for this case. While, yes, she has worked with the police before, there's just uh, no evidence, no records. And she says, I never did that. And the spinal cord sample was still mm-hmm. in the file. You know, it was still at the medical examiner's office.
1: Yes. Which they said it would not have been there had it been sent off. Correct. Yes. And we. I mean, yeah. yeah. Also, this is such a unique case that I imagine you would remember this.
0: Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's such a um, heinous case, especially with the significant number of wounds and how much the police hinged their decision on this. Well, you know, she would have still been able to stab herself. So Mm -hmm. that's why when the wound was so severe that it penetrated her brain. I mean, it was penetrating an upward strike. There's another one that's like an upward strike to the base of her skull Mm -hmm. that. Basically, the preserved spinal sample indicates that that the injury would have been so significant to her nervous system that she would have been incapacitated, fully incapacitated.
1: Yes. The Greenberg's neuropathologist also concluded that Ellen's body showed signs of manual strangulation based on the finger marks and small cuts on her neck, as well as a hemorrhage near her throat. Oh,
0: yeah. I was going to say, that's the other thing. If you were strangled and unconscious, then, of course, there's not going to be any defensive wounds,
1: right? Right. Yes. If 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 you were standing there and someone were to approach you from the behind and immediately begin strangling you, yes, and you were caught off guard and you couldn't scream or or anything, then and then you black out. Mm-hmm. And she has yeah. fresh
0: bruises on her neck, as well as a fingernail scrape, but no fingernails of any other human were uh, sampled. You yes. know what I mean? Like there were no samples from under a fingernail taken from anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the argument is if she was physically overwhelmed and she, you're, you're defenseless, right? You're being choked.
1: Yeah. In February of 2017, the Greenbergs filed a right to no request with the police. They were denied. Instead, the police invited the Greenbergs to the station to examine the evidence. But they were not allowed to copy, photograph, ask questions or bring their expert with them. Without a legal expert present, the Greenberg said they didn't know what they should be looking for, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. And they repeated the same story in the Oxygen uh, episode.
0: You're not an expert. You're periodontist. You're dental hygienist. You're highly educated, intelligent people. However, you are not forensic pathologists, experts, no. lawyers, detectives. So what good is any of that going to do you to look at? And also, you can't even take notes.
1: What are you supposed to photographic, memorize what you see? Not to mention these are pictures of their daughter, yes, it's traumatic, and you don't want to remember information what you saw. of this daughter. I mean, to be able to even compose yourself enough to look at these things no is unimaginable. I mean, Mm-mm. absolutely heartbreaking. No one should ever have to do that. Mm-mm. And I keep just asking myself, if the police are so confident this was a suicide. What's their problem with releasing this information?
0: Yeah, what's the harm in it? Why are Wh- you why yeah. wouldn't you let the expert look at it mm-hmm. cuz they're going to find what you found because you were right.
1: Yeah. Or are I- they going to find what the
0: medical examiner found and every single expert that's looked at it since then and say you were in fact incorrect?
1: Yeah. It if if it was a suicide as they say and they were confident in that that they had really worked the case and that's what it was. I don't know why you would be so resistant to let The parents of the victim Mm -hmm. have this information. You can't even give them that. First of all,
0: you can't even tell them. You can't even call them to tell them the status of the investigation. You let them find out in the news and then you won't even let them make take their cell phone and make copies or have their even if you say, okay, you can't photograph anything, which I don't know why. It's their own family member. It's not like they're going to go and, you know, it's not like it's a seedy tabloid journalist Mm -hmm. in there that is like, oh, I'm going to make a you know, it's their family that wants to see what happened, even just having expert with them there. If even if you say, OK, you can't take photos or anything, just having almost like an interpreter, right? Somebody mm-hmm. that interprets the scientific language that's used on everything. Why? I, that's yeah. that's my question. And what is a right to know request? So that is similar to a federal FOIA, which is Freedom of Information Act. The right to know is the state level um, law that was passed in Pennsylvania that presumes all public records are public right all records government records are public unless you get denied which sounds like they were and then if you get denied then you have the right to appeal it back you know appeal it up higher but the the city state, you know municipal any of the um government agencies can tell you no for whatever reason we think you know it's privilege, it's attorney-client privilege or it's still an ongoing investigation they can tell you no
1: but but those things didn't apply here it was uh, not an investigation because they had ruled a suicide
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know why they acted this way. It's a great question.
1: Do you know what they
0: why what the official de- denial was for? I wasn't able to find that information. I, yeah, oh, I didn't frankly, I did either. not look super hard. I mean, it's they said they were denied, and I imagine if you make a request, they deny you, and even if you appeal or ask somebody else, the uh, not going to be real forthcoming. <laughs> they already mm-hmm. told you you can't know what you already asked to know, which is presumed public record. I don't know that they're going to give you a detailed explanation. That's
1: true. One year later, the Greenbergs made a formal request to reopen Ellen's case with the state attorney general's office. The attorney general conducted
0: an extensive investigation that did not uncover evidence to change the medical examiner's finding of
1: suicide. According to a statement by the AG, their report stated that Ellen searched methods of
0: committing suicide, euthanasia, and quick death.
1: Three weeks before her death, former ADA Guy DeAndrea stated this information was not in files he had reviewed. And in fact, reporter Stephanie Farr confirmed to Oxygen that in 2011, police searched the laptop and found there was no indications of suicidal interest. Two things about this. One,
0: there's a list from the AG's office of the alleged websites that she went to and I went to some of the websites that were still available because you know it's 2011 so not all of the websites were still available but one of them is an anti-suicide website it says you need to lean on Christ and you don't need to you know it's that's not the path the true painless life is to be in Christ's light or whatever strange whatever I don't know another one was a Australian man who teaches seminars which was a fascinating article because he basically he, they call him the, the Australian Dr. Death. He's like kind of like Jack Kevorkian where he tells people that it's their right and then he gives them methods that makes it easier. But it was not a how-to article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was literally a news article. And another story was about a girl that was using her laptop and she was trying to tweet in the bath, but her laptop battery was dying and then she had to plug it into the power cord. And when she plugged into the power cord, she dropped it and she electrocuted herself. Yet again... It's a story. It's like a news story. If mm-hmm. we were all judged by our most macabre oh, internet Christ. searches, donezo. I mean, yeah, out totes. of it. Completely Dunzo. Mm-hmm. So um, I found, again, I only was able to go to a certain number of the websites because, uh, again, it was 2011, so, and now it's 2020, so 10 years ago. But the three that seemed the most damning titles that had been highlighted by the attorney general, yeah, if you look at just the keywords, it seems really... It doesn't even seem damning to me, but I guess they thought it was. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually go to the websites, it's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Not to mention, this was not an according to Guy DeAndrea and Stephanie Farr, who I find to be both very credible because they've been working this case for the whole entire time for Mm -hmm. 10 years, pretty much. They never saw it. And also, there's her browser history hadn't been fully analyzed because the police said that they that. They searched the laptop back then and said, oh, yeah, it's fine. It also wasn't password protected. It also had been taken from the crime scene. There's also no way to know like who was in possession of it when mm-hmm. those were accessed because her laptop had no password protection mm-hmm. on it. So that, I, to me, that's not credible. <laughs> that's no. saying, oh, I found these weird ass news articles she read. That must have meant she, you know, it's a lot of... Um, Pitch like, a square well,
1: peg into a round hole. Well,
0: say, so yeah, it's exactly what the Joe Pedraza said on the Oxygen show. It seems like there was a decision made and everything is just crammed mm-hmm. in to fit this decision. Yes,
1: totally. On October 15th, 2019, the Greenberg sued the medical examiner's office and the ME himself, asking the office to officially change the manner of their daughter's death from suicide to undetermined or homicide, according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit also claimed a second knife was used in the attack. The medical examiner has been ordered to submit expert reports, and all pretrial motions are due no later than July 5th, 2021. A settlement conference will be scheduled any time after September 7th, and it is expected that the case will be ready for trial by October 4th, 2021. This was a lot to go through,
0: and uh, they're not, you know what? They're uh, not leaving anything on the table. The it's they're being very aggressive with trying to compel the city to turn over stuff that, especially right now, what's outstanding is that video by the apartment manager who filmed the mm-hmm. contents and the conditions of the apartment before the crime scene cleanup, whose name was given to her by the police before the investigation was concluded.
1: Eradicated also the nine one
0: one call. And and it, they got the nine one one call. It took eleven months. They got. Oh, the they lo- have got it now. They That's got right. that. They got the nine one one call and the tape of the lobby, which took eleven months to get. And then again, and t- and to be fair, there's emails in there between the Greenbergs' attorney and the city's attorney, and there was you know personal scheduling issues, family illnesses, all this stuff is you know public record, part of the lawsuit, which I get that. But at the end of the day, it's isn't it all. Again, there's two there's two questions here. Is your record keeping that terrible that it takes you that long to pull a 911 call, especially in a high profile? What's now becoming a high profile Mm -hmm. case? Or is it like maybe if they will just they'll go away? Let me just tell if anybody is a party to trying to resist the truth coming out in this case, the Greenbergs are not going away. No, Joe Pedraza is not going away. The lawsuit I read, I mean, this is a finally, in my expert legal opinion, although Joe Petras has probably been a lawyer, especially a civil litigator, a lot longer than me. It is a extremely detailed, well-crafted. They have, I mean, excellent sources, references, everything for all of their arguments. And they're using every possible legal avenue they can right now to at least get, because right now, legally, her death is suicide. So anything that you would maybe want to do. Criminal investigation-wise, civilly, you're being stopped because there's nothing to investigate, right? There's no wrongful death because it's a suicide. So this is step one in a search for justice.
1: Mm -hmm. At the trial, Joe Pedraza, the Greenberg's current attorney, plans to use a technology called photogrammetry to prove that it is scientifically impossible that Ellen killed herself. Pedraza explained to WJAC how the technology works. What we have done
0: is we've literally transposed all of Ellen's dimensions from height, weight, everything, and each of the wounds that she has sustained from their exact length, their exact depth and exact angle of entry with the weapon. Some of the wounds are virtually impossible to be self-inflicted and certainly at least two of the wounds from behind are so devastating as to render Ellen incapable of defending herself and could have been themselves sufficient to kill her.
1: In January 2021... Ellen's parents announced through their attorney that the results of a forensic examination of her computer definitively established that she was not predisposed to searches toward death or suicide. Instead, Ellen had been searching for side effects of the meds she was taking, specifically weight gain. Due to the analytics of these searches, phantom searches of such phrases, such as euthanasia, quick suicide, and painless suicide, appeared on her history. She did not directly search for these things. So that's what they're saying is I guess the algorithm suggests
0: Mm -hmm. if she saw a girl died in a bathtub due to dropping her laptop and she wanted to read more about it, or even if she just clicked the article, they're saying that the way the algorithm is is like if you search suicide, maybe you also search dot dot dot.
1: Yes. Yeah, these things just appear on your computer. You don't I Mm -hmm. can't even imagine what my phantom search history looks like. Uh At this time, the Pennsylvania Attorney General has declined to reopen the case. Sam Goldberg, now 38, is married, has two kids, and lives in New York, according to the Daily Mail. Reportedly, he remained in contact with Ellen's parents for about a year after her death. The Greenbergs have always maintained that their daughter was murdered and that her death was made to look like a suicide, telling the Daily Mail that they have a mountain of evidence to support this. Josh says that they refuse to give up seeking justice for Ellen,
0: telling the Inquirer, I'm disgusted and disappointed and punched in the stomach, but this is not over.
1: Others continue to fight for justice, too, including thousands that never met Ellen. A Facebook page called Justice for Ellen has nearly 24,000 followers. More than 30,000 people have signed a Change.org petition calling for Ellen's case to be reopened. For those that had the pleasure of knowing Ellen— Her mother explained to CBS Philly why her absence is so deeply felt. She just spread love and spread the joy and had great energy. She vows to bring her daughter's killer to justice, telling the Daily Mail, I've got the rest of my life to fight for this. These parents, it breaks my heart. It's just like we talked about the
0: smarts. You know, you're like, you shouldn't have to. You, You know, you shouldn't have to spend your life. For the smart twenty five years, for the Greenberg's the last ten years, you shouldn't have to spend your life doing this. It should be we trust the system, right? We have mm-hmm. a system for a reason.
1: Yeah, and Josh Greenberg says in that inquirer article, they should be why are they putting us through this? They should be leading us by the hand to the mm-hmm. to the truth. You know, I mean mm-hmm. it's much like the Kristen Smart case, you feel like you're the only one that cares what happened mm-hmm. to the love of your life, the light of your life. And then it's all up to you on your own dime. Unless people are doing pro bono to figure out what happened. And that's exhausting. Your, your, your whole life, your whole world. As, as Sandy said, when she got the call from Sam's parents of what had happened, her whole world went dark. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's their only child Mm -hmm. that's gone forever. And, You, on top of that grief and pain that never goes away, you then have to take it upon yourself to find out what happened to her. I mean, she said that before they got professionals involved, that she would be up at night with a ruler looking Mm -hmm. at the centimeters and trying to figure out how this translated to the Mm -hmm. stab wounds and how it could have been possible. Imagine a mother having to do that. Mm -mm. Yeah, you're stealing... Their lives too, right? Yes. Oh, for sure their lives so. have been stolen. I mean, completely redirected. They were planning on having grandkids and mm-hmm. and a son in law and had no idea what what appears to have been going on by yeah. what the evidence shows and so now you've got to switch your whole way of thinking about everything you knew and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like You kinda of lose her all question- over again. You're like, oh, yeah. I didn't even know
0: you, right? Like you couldn't have opened up to me which from from a person who is in a situation where i couldn't talk about it it's not the parents fault it's not the best friends fault no. it's not the sister's fault it's you just think there's no way out you think that the only way you know i just grin and bear it i can deal with it i'm just going to tell them that i'm stressed about this or i'm just going to say this instead and not you don't want to come out with it so
1: and you also make excuses for the person yes you know i mean hypothetically if if someone was Engaged in planning a wedding and they were suffering abuse. They might say, well, he's just stressed about the wedding. It's all mm-hmm. going to get better once, once this is over with. You know, um, you're, it's shameful and it's embarrassing. It certainly doesn't have to be and shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And we, the more that people talk about it and destigmatize it, the less it does become those things. But imagine that you've been planning this wedding Mm -hmm. for a year. You just sent out your save the dates. You know, it's, it's a whole thing to feel like, well, if I talk about this, I'm going to have to call it off. I mean, even though in hindsight, yes, of course we, someone should do those things. It's, it sucks at the time and it might be embarrassing, but like in the long run, it's, it's definitely for the best. But if you think, It'll just get better if I can mm-hmm. hold. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times at the DV shelter, I heard that, that, you know, women think I can change him. It's he's just going through something. It'll mm-hmm. get better, especially while you a lot of times it's he was totally fine until we got married. It can also be. Well, I I thought that once we got married, everything would be OK. Mm-hmm. And they were once just, we had the baby, everything would be yes, OK. Or yes. once he
0: turned 40, everything, you know, it's like. There's always your that hope in your mind or
1: something. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh it's this family has been through so much. I signed the petition. We can uh oh, I need to, yeah. we can uh put that information, it is in the show notes as well I think as the if, Facebook page. And especially when the attorney general is an elected
0: position in Pennsylvania, constituents of that person can ma- can be heard. Yes, so mm-hmm. that's that's really really powerful by writing your elected officials, calling them, emailing them, signing the petition, participating in the Facebook page and then voting and uh, campaigning for other people. Yes. <laughs> if they're not willing to do it. Well, so what do we think? Well, as they, The parents listed that they have a mountain of evidence and I would tend to agree. Uh, we normally, with the show notes, I put them in paragraph form, but there was such a significant amount of evidence. In addition to the paragraphs, I had to make a table spreadsheet so that we could go through all the evidence. And mm-hmm. I think based on the reports from Dr. Ross, Dr. Cyril Wecht, Henry Lee, from Detective Eelman, the crime scene recreation specialist... I think based on the just the facts as they are, as far as the wound to her neck would have rendered her, um, you know, incapacitated, the wound to her head could have easily rendered her incapacitated, the bruise marks around her throat. If you want to say she must have stabbed herself, did she then also choke
1: herself? Did she put the mm-hmm. bruise marks around her neck? I Not think- to mention the multiple bruises in various stages of healing that were on her body. Yes. The blood
0: patterns, um, the significant, and we didn't even get into the nitty gritty details of the swipe marks on the cabinets that D- detective Eelman's report is extensive. And it is, I think definitely points to what Brennan has stated, what um, former detective Brennan stated that it is a staged crime scene, likely based on the evidence available uh, with the way that there's a line in the blood and the way the blood has dried on her face that she had been moved, I think based on uh, the forensic analysts, there was two knives used. I I agree with that conclusion because of the shape of the wounds, the majority or a majority, a good portion of the wounds were made with a non serrated knife. And the knife that was in her chest was serrated. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the evidence Of The laptop was incredibly flimsy for the police or for not even the police, because apparently when Guy D'Andrea and Stephanie Farr looked at it, there was no evidence that was in the file about this laptop search that I think if the AG is trying to lean on that, that's stupid because and that's a technical term, (laughs) you know, that's that's not a good that's not a valid thing to lean Mm -hmm. on because the laptop had been taken out of it, possession of you know it wasn't in possession of the police the chain of custody's broken so also the phantom searches i think go to explain a lot of that the
1: door lock i mean oh, i mean the don't door get lock me started on the door lock i think the door lock is one of the flimsiest parts of this entire case yeah when you look at how the door lock
0: if you have to kick a door in you would have to separate one piece of the mechanism from the other piece That would necessarily involve it becoming fully detached Mm -hmm. from its position. And the photograph of the lock is that it is not fully detached. There was no debris on the ground. Detective Eelman stated that in the crime scene photo, there's a zoom in close up of the lock where you see only one of the screws is out on the door side. And then there's a far, you know, a a broader, a wider shot of the door. And there's no debris like broken wood, broken Mm -hmm. door frame on the ground. What that. You would be able to that you would expect if you'd kick the door open.
1: How would you think someone that was going to commit this crime? Mm-hmm. What do you think that timeline looks like?
0: According to the medical examiner, she'd be, she'd been dead since I think it was like nine fifteen. PM was when they were looking at it, and they said she had been dead about four hours. That would have put time of death at about five fifteen.
1: Okay, so I'm going to carefully try and ask these questions. <laughs> what do you think happened as far as um, if if she if time of death is five fifteen and the text messages? Started at what did we say? Scroll up, 522. Uh, 32. Okay, if if the they put the time of death at 515, text messages start at 532, then that would say she was dead before the text messages began.
0: If if we're following the uh, evidence available, yes,
1: yes. Therefore, if if we are going to say that that is fact, she was killed in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Whoever killed her then left the apartment. It sounds like that person would have engaged the U-bar lock from the outside of the door, mm-hmm. which we have seen on YouTube is very easy to do. Mm-hmm. Began
0: sending text messages well then that's when sam we don't know who locked the door we don't know who left and locked the door but then sam started texting at 5 30
1: that's when he yes. says he arrived okay. okay yeah 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 so whoever kills her would have left the apartment engaged the lock from the outside mm-hmm. at 5 32 Sam begins texting her because he can't get into the apartment. Is what he told police, yes. Yes, yes. And the neighbors say, I mean, we do see that there are text messages. The neighbors say they hear him banging on the door and yelling for her. Mm-hmm. And then it's he goes down and asks the security guard several times to help him enter. That doesn't happen. And then at 6.30 thereabouts, he claims he... Breaches the door. Buts Busts open the door and finds her, and then at 6.33 makes the 911 call. Correct. Okay. That's the timeline
0: based on the facts that we have in evidence. Yes, that is
1: true. Okay. One could say possibly whoever killed her, mm-hmm. if they... Left the the apartment, closed the door behind them, engaged the U bar from the outside. Mm-hmm. It could be possible mm-hmm. that who, if someone wanted back in the apartment, they could disengage that same U bar from the outside, mm-hmm. go inside the apartment close the door Mm -hmm. and then from the inside pull the door to where it looks like someone had tried to break in from the outside that
0: seems to be the implication in the petition the civil petition okay and that and that is the opinion of experts that it was not kicked from the outside that somebody standing on the inside yanked on it to make it look like it was kicked that's what i read uh I mean, it's pretty much the plain language of what's in the petition. Yeah.
1: Well, then we've... I was just going through the evidence once Correct. more yeah, and going trying to... to piece it all together in my mind. Yes. Um, and I think
0: there... If if I were uh, attempting... So so let me just do... Let's, let's talk about another case we covered, right? The Christian Smart case. Mm-hmm. You have a couple of parents. You have a daughter who is... In their case, missing, but you know, they. I think from day pretty much day one, they knew that that she was gone, and they're not getting satisfaction from police. So the smart chose to sue Paul Flores civilly, right, for wrongful death. Mm-hmm. They could do that because there's no death certificate that says suicide. Mm-hmm. There's no death certificate, right? She's right. not dead. It's right. un, it's they up to them. Found her. Yeah, yeah. It's up to them to prove in civil court that he killed her right that's more likely than not that he killed her well in this case if say you wanted to sue anybody for wrongful death and try to present this mountain of evidence before a jury as is your your right defense number one is well we have a death certificate here that says suicide on it so why are we here obviously Mm -hmm. she caused her own death the wrongful ain't nobody's done wrong but her so why are we here motion for dismiss you know motion to dismiss Mm -hmm. Uh, shut it down so also they in turn could be sued for defamation well i think if you set it out in the public you would be sued for defamation and again if de- if truth is an absolute defense to defamation right now the truth on a death certificate says suicide right? right right so uh you you may notice that there's no uh suspect named right like the mm-hmm. you you see interviews and nobody's saying i know that so-and-so did it they're not saying that because right now the that the official cause of death is suicide so you cannot prove definitively that somebody else did it so like you make a defamatory statement and it's per se defamation if you say somebody committed a crime right that's Mm -hmm. so egregious that you don't even have to prove damages and so i think step one to trying to determine who did this Is to get the death certificate changed at the very minimum to undetermined Mm -hmm. or could not be determined and preferably to homicide, which is what the guy had frickin written before he himself, Mm -hmm. the medical examiner, he himself admitted that he changed it, quote, at the insistence of the police because they said there was a lack of defensive wounds. That's what's Mm -hmm. quoted in the petition. So that's where the kind of the... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? like the the block the blockade that we're running into mm-hmm. for any type of relief, criminal, civil, otherwise, is this death certificate that says suicide. Mm-hmm. So that is what this lawsuit is about, in my opinion as a lawyer, right? Like it's the family also just wants that they, they even write in the lawsuit. We unfortunately live in society where suicide is stigmatized. We mm-hmm. don't want that stigma. They also point to statistics. Right, so she's on Klonopin and she's on Ambien, and if suicide is a, uh, you know, possible side effect, and she's wrongfully been labeled a suicide, now the stat, the statistics, the data that goes to those medications is wrong. So that's, that's a good point. The society suffers when we have yeah. incorrect death certificates out there because we use those to say we have an opioid crisis or we have Mm a, you know, a a smoking crisis. If people's cause of death says it's lung cancer, right? So you want to have a correct cause of death because you want to be able to say statistically people get murdered here Mm -hmm. um, or not. And so I think that this lawsuit is meant to, it's a first step in any possible future recovery because right now any legal request you have, whether it's to the, you know, the police, the attorney general, I'll say, well, there's no new evidence. I-, I disagree with that. I think the law- the searching of the laptop, I think all mm-hmm. of these forensic reports is all new evidence. I think especially the whole spinal cord test that never got done, according That's to wild. the doctor, and then now has been tested. And they're like, yeah, clearly this got severed. What do you mean? Why- what am I looking at here? Every single expert, <laughs> the the tone of their reports is all like, why are you asking me this? This is a very clear-cut case. I think... This is a this is a roadblock. The suicide on the death certificate's a roadblock. And as soon as we get that removed and it's at least undetermined, then that at least leaves the door open because the burden of proof in a civil case is a lot lower than a criminal case. Mm-hmm. And if, like we saw with the smart family, bless their hearts, when there was not movement on the criminal side, you have movement on the civil side that you're in control of. You have a badass attorney like Joe Pedraza who's out there making these filings. He's not giving up. He's I mean, he's being as aggressive as you want your lawyer to be Mm -hmm. when you're getting faced with a ton of roadblocks. And so, you know, we also saw in the Kristen Smart case, shit comes out in depositions and civil depositions. Mm -hmm. And if you have a discovery period during a civil case, then maybe you can search places you never got to search before. Maybe you can interview people you never got to interview before. Maybe you can have your experts look through the fucking boxes of evidence that nobody would let you look at. Things like that that you're going to get access to that you can't get access to right now because it's frivolous to file a wrongful death lawsuit when the cause of death on the certificate is suicide. You know, that's like frivolous litigation. Not, It's not frivolous, like, in my opinion, but I mean, like, it is you don't have a valid cause of action for wrongful death when Mm -hmm. someone took their own life. Yeah. In in a legal theory. Sure.
1: (sighs) Oh, yeah. Well, the... um. There'll there'll be movement on some things within the next few weeks, and then hopefully a trial in October. Where they have been, you know, moving stuff back
0: a little bit here and there because of these delays um, by the the city not turning stuff Mm -hmm. over. So it's right now it's scheduled for October. It was scheduled for September, and it got moved. And and some of these have been agreed scheduling orders where the family maybe wants more time too. But hopefully it's on the horizon to have some type of relief. And they're not to to clarify this is a suit in equity. So they're not asking for money. They're not suing the medical examiner for money. They're not suing the office of the medical examiner or the city for money. They are suing because mandamus is when you ask a court to make a government official perform their duties. And they go through a whole thing in a petition saying, as a medical examiner, your job is to look at these pieces of evidence. You looked at these pieces of evidence. The medical examiner handbook says, if you have this percentage of certainty, You're supposed to tick the homicide box and you didn't. We're seeing right here you, you know, you did not perform the duties that you were supposed to perform. Mm -hmm. And they're asking for declaratory relief that the court enters a judgment or enters an order that, you know, says it could not be determined. The defense side is the defense is saying, oh, well, the court has no jurisdiction, not jurisdiction, but the court doesn't have the authority to force the medical examiner to do anything. Well, apparently the police did because he changed his opinion. Quoted from him, he changed his opinion based on what the police said. So um, the lawsuit's pretty much just saying, hey, we have two death certificates. The original one said homicide. Some altered, in theory, you know, this changed one that was changed not because of any medical evidence, but because he was pressured, d- declared that that one is false and that the initial one entered was
1: the correct one. I'm also wondering if in the trial it will come out... If the pressure from the police to change it stemmed from they knew that they had fucked up the investigation or perhaps they were getting pressure from something, somebody, something or somebody, somebody with a
0: lot of authority, with power, who's to Mm -hmm. say? I mean, there's no all that's speculative at this point except what you know the attorney joe pedraza said of we see that there's clearly a conclusion they were trying to conclude it with suicide and make Mm -hmm. everything else fit we just don't have the why yet But that's why we have courts that's why we have you get your day in court right you get to bring evidence you force people in there they're subpoenaed to come testify this is why what our judicial system is made for is to say we have been wronged the greenbergs have been wronged our daughter has been wronged they're suing and their capacity as the administrators of her estate because her estate deserves redress, right? If she was suffered before she died, bring a personal injury suit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for them, they lost the care and comfort and love of their daughter. Bring a, a survivor action. You know, wrongful death suit. Well, they can't do that because the death certificate says mm-hmm. suicide. So this is their right. As um, this is their right. You know, as citizens to have access to the courtroom and go before a judge. And if this judge don't like it, appeal it. And if they don't like it, appeal it and appeal it and make noise and say this is the evidence we've had this is what expert expert experts are telling us in this field why are we not seeing what you would expect to see and why did we not see 10 years ago what we would expect to see and at least right now why are we not seeing what we would you know like to see which is just a fucking investigation yeah just investigate it don't let crime scene investigators just wipe everything away fail to take luminol samples, fail to take the laptops, fail to take all of these failures. And like you said, it does look, it's a bad look if you do, you know, if the, it does get changed. And they initially just asked the ME to change it on his own. They said, here they sent him a letter and said, we're respectfully asking you to change your conclusion. You said you did it because the cops, we're giving you all these reports. We're giving you all these photos. We're reminding you, we're showing you this new technology. Would you please change this? Did not respond. So then they went to the court, which is their right. So, yeah, I uh, I hope they get some kind of relief. Absolutely. Me too. Or, you know, they
1: get their day in court, right? Yeah. And we'll update you guys when there's an update on this for as sure. well. For sure. This is one that I'm checking uh, the docket daily. <laughs> yes, for sure. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon, We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get
0: some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves tier, special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus mini and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including a video of me drowning in a ball pit as a baby, which everyone seemed <laughs> to
1: really love. Oh, there's so many comments on that. It is great, though. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As with Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions.
0: For patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership.
1: For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. Make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been
0: tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want some cool Sinisterhood swag like T-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top banner. Shortly, we will be releasing new designs. We were just sent some of the proofs today to sign off on them. And, I mean, Christy said one of them looks so cool it could be a tattoo. And, like, I think we're probably going to get matching tattoos now. I stand
1: by it. I stand by it. I guarantee you somebody gets a tattoo of that. I mean, it's amazing. It's really good. Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us
0: on Instagram and Twitter at Pod, and like us on Facebook at Christy, Where are you at? I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, where are you? I am on the internets on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the
1: devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey,
0: everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout-outs. Linda E. Wells. Julia Zimmerman. Melissa Scott. Lucia. Heather Mishket, Bronte Emory, Tanya Solomon. Steph Lockhart-Franklin. Cass Simons,
1: Jude, Robin Beebe, Rebecca Schmidt, Carissa, Rhiannon Jones, Kina Rivera, Molly Mason, Sadia Dodd, Christine Bonhoff, Jen Jones, Jenna, Beth, Kay Younty, Brooklyn, Muriel Keck, Sarah Dube, Christy Sutherland, Katherine Hardy, Liz Funk, that's a badass name, Jen Midor. Hurenton, Taylor Tribby, Ashley Ruffin, Rach Personal Cross, Phoenix Fox, Kim Leitzel Kelsey, Libby Rotan, Cassie Parker, Andy Higginbotham, Dar, Lizzie Fitzgerald, Aferan, Aaron Clark, Corey Ireland, Kristen, Acacia, Jessica Brewer, Reba Falls, Kristen Newton, Amber Epoch, Alexandria Paporis, Hannah Parker, and Tilly Boscott. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, especially during these trying times. We sincerely appreciate it and could not do this without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. (laughs) Sinister.